It's beginning to look a lot like about mid-March, don't you think? Love mid-March. Past Groundhog Day, Groundhog Prediction just coming true. Warm weather on the way, summertime barbecues. That's kind of not what we're going for at the moment, but that's what we have. Here's my favorite headline of the day so far. London Live brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialist. My favorite headline is 2018 on track to be one of the warmest years on the planet in the top five. Other members of the top five, 2017, 2016, 2015, and 2014. Ah, okay, we get it. That's actually not it. That was a FARC headline. If you ever go to FARC, they have their own headlines. The actual accurate information is, according to the National Centers for Environmental Information, this has been the planet's fifth warmest November since they started record-keeping. When was that? Like 2011? Nope, 1880. So we had this November, 2015's November, 2013's, 2010s, oh, and 2017s. So it's, it's pretty, FARC's headline is pretty accurate. What's that mean for all of us? Nothing anybody is worrying about now unless you are a scientist who's been saying for a long time, hey, listen up, this is not good. All of you people, listen up. Yeah, but is it going to affect tax prices and tax increases and the cost of beer? No, it isn't. Okay, never mind. Can we get beer in grocery stores yet? Well, some... That's what people are caring about. Nothing about this. I'm not going to harp on this, but that's not a good thing. It's not necessarily why it looks like mid-March outside, why it feels like mid-March, but that's, that's not good news. One of the things that I found absolutely wild about the story, and again, this comes from the National Centers for Environmental Information, is the fact that they took a look at the billion-dollar weather disasters that have happened so far in 2018. So this is a weather disaster, and the campfire in California does count. So billion-dollar weather disasters. How many do you think there are? This is just 2018. Well, I think I gave one away. So the California campfire, that would be one. Uh, we had Hurricane Florence. That's probably it. Any others? Hurricane Michael? Sure. That's got to be it, though. There were 37 Across the planet, 37 at more than a billion dollars. Different ones had people killed. In China, there was a typhoon that we probably didn't hear about, killed 102 people. There was a flood in Japan that killed over 200. And there was flooding in India that killed 500 people. Those things we don't tend to hear about. So, uh, yeah, uh, the only years with more billion-dollar weather disasters were 2010 and 2013, they both had 41. 2018 so far sits at 37, and we're now 11 days away from 2019. That's big picture stuff. Today, we're going to talk with some not as big picture stuff, but if you live in London, Ontario, or the province of Ontario, these are big enough picture things we're going to talk casinos in just a moment, and we'll talk casinos again in about an hour from now, because I have a hopefully silver lining picture to the casino story, so I'll get to that. But here's something that I'm trying to get my head around. I've never been a part of a union, 
and I understand how important they are for some things. I do believe, this is just personally, that they push too hard. The word more is used too often. What do you want? More. Well, more of what? What do you need? Well, things are pretty good right now. We'll just take whatever you have. We just want more. We want to get a better deal for our membership. That kind of stuff and a like. If you've got it good, have it good. Don't push for more. So that's an issue that I've always had with unions. I believe that they need to exist because it doesn't take long before, boom, flip of the switch, and we've got things going too far in the other direction. But here's what I'm trying to get my head around. We just had a vote, 72 to 35, to say, hey, um, you can't walk off the job if you are an Ontario power generation worker. Okay, but that's one of the big things that people who have jobs can do. They can show the impact that they can have by not working, by striking. We see it all the time. How is it that colleges are able to go out? How is it that other workers, other members of unions are able to go out and, wait a minute, you guys? No, we voted here even before you walked out, 72 to 35 you got to stay. You, you have to stay. Now, I want to play you a little something from Ontario Energy Minister Greg Rickford that helps to explain why that is, that we could be in for things that we'd rather avoid if we allowed Ontario power generation workers to walk off the jobs. Here is that. Each nuclear reactor unit takes a minimum of 12 hours to shut down. Once it is shut down, it could take days to restart. Let's talk about the impacts of shutting down. OPG produces approximately or up to 50% of the power in Ontario. For this region, reason, OPG cannot continue operations without PWU workers and could shut down all energy production within weeks of a strike. Notably, the Independent Electricity System Operator, otherwise known as IESO, has stated that it would not be possible to replace all electricity generation uh, once all OPG energy production was shut down. This could lead to rolling brownouts throughout the province if demands exceed available supply. That is Ontario Energy Minister Greg Rickford, courtesy of Global News. So look at the key points there. Up to 50% of the power generated in Ontario is generated by OPG. We've checked in in London, and these rolling brownouts may not touch us if they were to happen. Now, right now, they're, they're not going to because of that 72 to 35 vote. But is this fair? This is what I'm wondering about. You have workers who are saying, we're not happy with the situation that we have. And we believe we have some legitimate grievances. So here's how we're going to show you because we need a new contract and this is what everybody else seems to do. Mm, no, you can't. Even in teacher strikes, they'll let it go for a little while and then they'll legislate people back. But they let it go for a little while. Is this fair? I'm thinking, no, it's not. It's not fair that workers should be able to, if they choose to, walk off the job. Happens in so many other cases. 
I'd love to know what you think on that. Email me at mike at 980cfpl.ca if you have a thought, or phone lines are 519-643-2222. We have a couple of minutes before we dig into casinos. But I just, I find that unfair. Rolling brownouts? So what? So, have them. Oh, can't have that. Now, obviously, you've got an issue that it is wintertime, and that would kind of be unfair if... In the wintertime, we had people who were dealing with electric heat who were going through rolling brownouts. So maybe that goes into it. Maybe that's what we have to factor in. Maybe you wait until summertime and do this. But they're not going to be allowed to do it at all because the legislation says so. Casinos. This is going to be a big topic today. It already has been. If you caught some of the discussion on the Craig Needle Show, then you know some of the background. If you don't, here's a little bit of that background before we get some initial reaction on the show. We have had Gateway Casinos looking for a place to put a casino. There's been an awful lot of talk with Western Fair District, and it seemed like that natural fit. Hey, They have essentially a casino there, kind of gaming. We have to call it gaming. It's not a casino. But they have gaming there. They have slots. This would add more to it. And when you get a casino, there is the opportunity to get all kinds of entertainment. And then we find out through Rob Mitchell, Gateway's Director of Communications and Public Affairs, he told 980 CFPL News this morning, that the company has signed a deal for land at the intersection of Wonderland and Warncliffe. Now, this is where the Spivak cement plant kind of is, and they would look at that as a greenfield site, according to what Rob Mitchell told us this morning. So this takes the casino story, and it turns it in a different direction. It raises concerns about Western Fair District. Well, what happens there if they have no casino? My silver lining thought is, meh. So, if you can't have a casino, have something else. I wonder, because I've been thinking about this for a long time, how much a casino actually matters anymore. Because I'm waiting to see what happens. And maybe it's just because I have too much in the way of sports in my life. But I look at where gambling is headed. There are people right now who play poker on a regular basis, and they don't play it at tables. Oh, but that's not pure poker. I know. It's not. If you want to play poker, you should be able to read your opponents. And to do that, you need to go to an actual casino. But when I look at the generation that is coming up, they don't care. They're not reading people. They're not very good at it. And they're not going to get better. So what they're going to do is they're going to stay online where they're playing poker online, and that's going to be their poker. They don't care about sitting at a table and and reading people and knowing when to hold them and when to fold them and when to walk away, when to run. Running's important sometimes, but that's not going to matter to them. So where are we headed in terms of gambling? Here's the sports angle on it, and we'll explore it a little more next hour as well. As soon as leagues make gambling on their leagues nice and legal, nice and available, then people who do want to gamble and are sports fans are going to have so much enticement at their fingertips that I think going outside on a snowy evening, driving to a location, 
perhaps paying to park, I don't know whether they would or not, and going inside and then wandering around a casino, I don't think that's going to be happening quite as much as we would need it to be in order to make this a success. And if that casino is not what I would call accessible, whereby it's, I don't know, downtown or at Western Fair, somewhere where people already are, you could say, well, the city's already building out that way. Yeah, kind of. Because if you drive up Warncliffe right now, you hit some pretty established areas for car dealerships. You have some pretty established furniture locations. I don't see a lot of housing there. You would have to make an effort. And if you make something hard for people, what do they do? They don't do it. So I think there's a silver lining in this for Western Fair District, and I think it raises a lot of questions. We're going to begin to analyze this with the help of a member of city council in just a moment. We'll get his thoughts on it. Phil Squire will join us next on London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. So right now it would appear that Gateway Casinos wants to have a casino essentially up Warncliffe Road just a little bit from Wonderland. That's what it appears. And that kind of leaves any kind of development at Western Fair District, which was talked about hotel and new jobs. There would probably be jobs for the city in this way, wouldn't there? But it, it kind of sends that in a whole different direction. Joining us right now is Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire. I'm fascinated to know how Councillor Squire feels about this. Councillor Squire, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm, I'm okay. How do good. you feel about this? I'm disappointed. I mean, I, I think it would have been great to have it at the, at the Western Fair, but I think there's a couple of things uh, people have to remember that the, the, the revenue uh, or the, the deal with Gateway is one that the provincial government made with them, basically gave them rights to re- casinos in a region. So they can basically call the shots in terms of location. People, some people think, well, they had to, you know, redo it at Western Fair. Well, they were in a great negotiating position in that they could say to us, "Look, we'll come to Western Fair, but we want all of these, you know, various concessions and deals, or we'll go somewhere else." So they, they, you know, they played the game and they negotiated, but it's not. Uh, it's not fair to say, well, the city of London dropped the ball here, or the Western Fair dropped the ball. They were tough negotiators, as far as I know, and they uh, they were more than willing to place it somewhere else in London. So that's that's where we are right now. As long as it's in London, that's that's a, obviously a benefit to the city of London in terms of game uh, uh, the revenue we get. But uh, they were they were. Uh, tough negotiators, and it looks like they're happy with what they got. So, Councillor Squire, when you say negotiating with London, it almost sounds like in those negotiations the hope was that it would be at Western Fair District. Is that what the city was was hoping well, I for? I all along, and I, I can't talk about the negotiations. They're obviously something that's done in camera, but I think people people were well aware that the, the city of London, along with the Western Fair Association, were more than willing to have it located in the Western Fair area. But Gateway wasn't required to do that, and I think that's the, that's the one issue that I think some people don't know. Gateway was perfectly able to place it elsewhere in the city of London or even outside of the city of London. So they were in what I consider, and the government put this in the position, a really good negotiating uh, position. But this all started when, when Western Fair lost the uh, gambling rights. As soon as they lost the gambling rights, 
to a company, they no longer were in the driver's seat in terms of doing that. So I think we have to accept that, and and uh, they they will move on and do what they think is is best for them. Ward Six Councillor Phil Squire joining us, part of the planning committee, as we look at. A casino that may not be built at Western Fair District. I know you can't talk about specifics of negotiation, but the time period of negotiation. We've heard Gateway Casino say, well, in fact, they said to us this morning, they expected to have shovels in the ground about a year ago or longer. What would you say to that? You know, I think Gateway, Gateway, and I'm going to be blunt here, Gateway is, is, is doing a very good job of blaming other people or putting the putting the, the, the responsibility for a decision they're making on other people. I think they should be they should stand up and they should say, look, we've made a decision. We're going to place this casino here, and, and, and that's our decision. We think it's the best deal for us. I think, you know, when they try to sort of put it on other people, you know, they're not – they're being a bit unfair. I think they're the company that has the uh, gambling rights. They should be able to explain to people – that they're locating where they're locating, and that's that's the way I look at it. Councillor Squire, do we read anything into the fact that they've signed a lease agreement as opposed to purchase property? No, not necessarily. I mean, they you can always do a very long term lease on a on a piece of property that that requires someone else to build um, and and maintain the property. But you know, again, they know. Look, they know that people want their casino. They know that they're in the driver's seat, so they're pretty free to negotiate the best deal that they can negotiate. So if they felt there was there was a better deal somewhere other than Western Fair, they were going to do it. They, they are a, a large company that has no particular allegiance to one location. They're going to get the best deal they can, and if they, they did it, well, that's, that's the way it goes. But, you know, if somebody starts blaming, you know, uh, uh, city council or the Western Fair. I'm, I'm really going to push back against that because, um, you know, they 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 got what they wanted, and and I'm I'm not against that. I'm not going to give them a hard time, but they should stand up and explain their decision. Finally, how much of an impact do you think this has on Western Fair District? Well, I think whatever happened, it was going to have a big impact on Western Fair, and I think people have to remember that even if Gateway located at the Western Fair. Western Fair was no longer going to get the gambling revenue. That was going to be going to Gateway. So what they would get and what we would as the Western Fair and the London who London City of London who owns part of it, we would have got lease revenue from a building that was located on our property. But we weren't going to get the gambling revenue anymore. So everybody knows full well that it's the gambling revenue that was fueling the development at Western Fair. It was fueling the buildings being built and now Western Fair is going to have to come up with a business model that represents this uh, new reality. But really, this all started back when the provincial government decided to give the gambling rights to, to Gateway, put Gateway in the driver's seat and, and, and you know, put up new challenges for, uh, for Western Fair. But I'm, I'm a big believer we live with the present situation. I think we should do that and move forward. Councillor Squire, thank you so much for weighing in on this. No problem. Have a good day. Take care. That is Ward Bye. 6 Councillor Phil Squire. So that's a great point at the end, and one we are going to explore in a little over a half hour from now on London Live, and that is that life was going to change for Western Fair District no matter what because the gambling revenue would not be going to Western Fair District. So that's, that's big. That's a big part of this. 
If they built the building there, sure, you get lease revenue, but you don't necessarily get, well, you don't get the gambling revenue, which winds up being big dollars. That goes to Gateway Casino. So this was a way, ultimately, for the province to help make money in doing a deal with Gateway Casino. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. That's business. It's the way it works. So you have to think Western Fair District may have started to look in a different direction already. And that's what I'm curious to watch in all of this, because I don't believe for a second that this is going to harm Western Fair in a way that they cannot recover from it. I don't believe that for a second. There is too much that goes on there, and there is too much space and too much opportunity. Change? Change makes way for opportunity. That's all this is. We'll talk about it more in a little over a half hour. I want to talk some real estate in London and St. Thomas. As we look back over the year, I'm curious to see what the numbers sit at now. We'll be able to get numbers through about 11 months as to how things are going in London and St. Thomas because uh, things have gone pretty well. We had some room to come up in the world in real estate, and it looks like we have. Next, news with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. 11 days to go in 2018. Start practicing now. 2019-2019-2019. That's if you write a lot of checks. If not, you really don't have to practice much at all. Your phone will keep track of everything. Don't worry. It'll change the date to 2019. You may have to flip a calendar if you have one on the fridge. 2019-2019. Yeah, I'm done practicing. I'm going to let my phone take care of it. We are going to look back over the year in a number of different ways in the next couple of weeks, but, and we're going to welcome in the new year in the next couple of weeks, but for now, why don't we kind of begin that discussion, because there is a topic in London and St. Thomas that is going to get a lot of attention, or at least deserves a lot of attention, and that is what has happened in real estate in 2018, because We talked about it during the year. There was a spike, and the thought was a lot of people had moved from Toronto, and they were either buying a house in London and retiring here, or some people apparently even commute to Toronto, maybe on a daily or weekly basis, but they live here. We have had attractive house prices for quite a while now. Joining us is Jeff Nethercott, who is the president of London and St. Thomas Association of Realtors, to kind of look back over most of 2018. Again, the numbers aren't in for December just yet, but we do have a feeling of how the rest of the year has gone. And Jeff, how would you sum up how the year has gone? Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me on your show. Um, Ultimately, this uh, 2018 is shaping up to be much like it was in 2017. We, uh, we continue to see lack of inventory or homes available for buyers out there, which has continued to, to drive up that price. Um, and, and we foresee that going into the, the first bit of next year as well. So overall, prices in our region are, have seen one of the healthiest gains across the country with just over 17.5% price increase since the same time last year. Um, and that's, that's pretty much where things are at, and we, we continue to see that uh, – that lack of inventory driving up that that price. Overall, we're shaping up to be the third best year on record for number of sales, which we haven't talked too much about that this year, um, but there was a record-breaking month in, in October, um, and we continue to see that strength in, in sales numbers into the fall. 
Now, that's, winter at this point. Yeah, that that sounds encouraging. Why do you think that's kind of slipped by? Simply because we have had so much growth in the market. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily growth. Um, price has been the the, the um, thing people want to talk about the most. Um, they've seen the the price uh, increase over the last two years, and really, if we go back the last three years, we're closer to 50%. Um, so that's been the main headline, the main discussion people want to talk about. Number of sales, London is growing. You see a lot of new construction out there, um, and that really drove 2017 numbers. Uh, 2018, we saw um, the resale market pick up a bit um, compared to the uh, number of new builds out there. We're talking with Jeff Nethercott, president of London and St. Thomas Association of Realtors. The the lack of available properties, what factors kind of go into that? Yeah, a number of factors. As, as you When you introduce the, the topic here, we have seen over the last few years uh, people buying from out of our region. And typically when they come into our region and, and they purchase a home, they don't have something to sell. Um, a healthy market. You know, when someone buys a home, they put their home on, and it, it allows for that um, moving within our region. Uh, and that's where we've seen the, the new builds kind of help keep that uh, availability up, but still lacking um, because there's no product out there. People are hesitant to put their home on the market and, and really need to sit down and, and sit with a realtor and, and kind of plan what's going on in their neighborhood and make sure that they are prepared. If I'm looking to buy a house, what should I do with mine? Um, different markets call for different advice and, and different strategies. And how do you kind of meet out that, that information when people do ask? Um, really, a lot of it's looking right down into their neighborhood, the price range. London's operating right now with uh, two fairly different markets. We have our average sale price, which is 386000 in the region. So when you're working around that average sale price and below, it's an extremely competitive market for buyers, high um, high return for sellers. And as you get higher in the price range, there's, there's less activity, um, less going on in the marketplace. But it still remains a seller's market. Um, so you need that guidance depending on you know, what you're looking for as a buyer and what you're looking for to get out of your home as a seller. Jeff, what becomes kind of the cutoff point where one of those markets ends and the next one begins? How much would that be? Ultimately, from the experience and what we're seeing in our stats out there, around the $500,000 mark is where we're seeing that that change in the market. Um, Like I said, it's it's not a drastic change. It is still a seller's market. Um, Just below that that threshold is is a high percentage of listings or sales to listings. So it's more competitive under that $500,000 mark than it is above it um, because there's even less product available in that price range. We're talking with Jeff Nethercott, president of London and St. Thomas Association of Realtors. Looking back over 2018, and as Jeff says, it's gone a lot like 2017 did, where you don't have a lot of properties for, say, or you don't have a lot of properties uh, kind of available, and so you do have a seller's market in this area. Jeff, years ago we saw, if you you took Toronto, we saw things kind of light up in Oakville and then light up in uh, around Milton, and then it stretched out to Guelph and Kitchener and then we saw Woodstock and you would think well you know we're so far out of Toronto that'll never reach us is that part of what you talk about with people from from the GTA finally having that reach us is that happening 
Yeah, and I I believe what we're seeing has been a trickle-down effect, and it's not just generally the GTA. As the GTA buys westward, the people in those communities, their affordability gets a little tighter, so then they look um, further west. And we're seeing that um, the expression I've heard many people say is you drive down the 401 until you can afford what your income provides. And London's been a very affordable community for um, years, so we're, we're seeing that uh, those buyers from the West, um, whether it's the GTA, Kitchener-Waterloo, um, looking to London in the last two or three years because of that affordability and what our community has to offer in that price range. Now, in terms of where the market is headed, that's always a, a difficult thing to judge. But in terms of the growth that we had to kind of come up against some of those other areas, are we right with one of those other cities, like a like a Guelph, like a Kitchener, like a Woodstock, are we seeing comparable prices? Uh, we're still below those um, those areas. Uh, the one interesting um, stat that we produce on our monthly release is, you know, we look at the top ten cities across the country, population wise, and we actually surpassed Edmonton as a comparable price range this year um, in in October. So we have um, seen our affordability tighten a little bit, but for the size of the center, uh, we still are fairly affordable, but um, we're still a ways away from the Kitchener-Waterloo market, and that's why we're seeing people from that region still looking here at what they can they can get for a home. So, Jeff, let's understand that. That means that our prices are comparable to Edmonton, or the prices have passed what a house would go for in Edmonton? Yeah, the, the prices have passed Edmonton, um, so, yeah, Right now, you're you're looking at um, the affordability dropping. So a home in London will cost a little bit more than it does in Edmonton, um, and that was an interesting kind of stat to watch as we got closer throughout the year. And and like I said, here closer to home, we are um, much more affordable than the Kitchener, Waterloo, and GTA region, and that will continue to drive those people out of our community looking in the area. You talk a lot with realtors across the country. Does anybody ever talk about real estate bubble in the real estate industry? Uh, that's an interesting topic you bring up, Mike. It's it's one that has been around for over a decade now, um, and we still have not seen that in in our local area. London has been, you know, a very consistent following inflation, healthy growth. The last three years, we've seen a, a bit of spike, but we still remain very affordable. Larger markets like the GTA and, and Vancouver markets did have a correction uh, over the last few years. They also had other uh, foreign buyer taxes and, and other policies that were set in place with uh, lending that had a bit of an impact in those markets. Um, so they've gone through some corrections there and are, are still on a, on a more balanced market than, than we are. Um, but we're still in a healthy position uh, when you look at affordability. So right now we're not concerned about that kind of a of a topic in our region. And ultimately it's, yeah, you have to look back at affordability factors. I guess as a, a final point, people are always wondering, when's the right time to sell my house? What factors do you have to consider when you're looking at whether or not to sell? Well, the, the biggest factor is, am I, am I going to buy? If I'm looking to sell, um, what's available for me to purchase? If I'm looking to retire, move into um, you know, perhaps a, a rental uh, as a change of lifestyle, it's, it's really factoring in what you're looking to get out of, the, uh, out of your sale of your home. Um, and that's where you're sitting down, you know, meeting the right professionals, realtors, financial advisors, really building that plan 
this time of year, even for the spring market, it's it's a great time to have that conversation uh, going into the new year to, to see what your plans uh, will line up with where the market is. Jeff, here's hoping that 2019 is as successful as 2018 and 2017 for everybody. Thanks so much for the time. Yeah, thank you. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. That is Bye-bye. Jeff Nethercott, president of the London and St. Thomas Association of Realtors. So things continue to be a seller's market in this area. And as Jeff said, yeah, it's, this, is, this is what we always have to realize. You look at, okay, well, what's my house worth? Okay, well, I, I bought it for this, and now it looks like I could get this. All right. Let's get the sign. Let's uh, call a realtor. Put the sign down on the lawn. Mate, let's get out of here. And then you realize, yeah, but I have to move somewhere. So if you're at the point in your life when you can say, kids are gone, let's downsize, that's different than saying, do you know what our house is worth? We should sell this. This is amazing. And then you look around and you say, wow, everybody else's house went up in value too. This isn't as amazing as I thought. They don't have the flower bed that we put in last summer. So that's always the trick with real estate, right? Your house can be worth whatever you want it to be worth. It's like inflation. It's like saying, I bought this bag of chips for 25 cents a long, long time ago. You can go to the vending machine and buy a bag of chips for $1.25. I'm going to eat my 25 cent chips. And then you realize that once they're gone, you, you got to go and buy the $1.25 ones anyway. So that's always the trick. Let's take a quick break. Up next, I want to talk a little bit about some other numbers that came out. These, these aren't good. Uh, they come from the United States, and they look at firearm deaths of children. You know, if, if there are things that haven't changed. Yesterday we talked a lot about or not a lot, but we mentioned the fact that can you believe that we are two years into the Trump presidency almost, and we are still hearing him talk about this stupid wall? I, I, that blows my mind, that this is still a thing, that somehow this is dragging on. This is like a show that's trying to stretch into its 10th season when it should have stopped at season six. I can't believe that it's still going on. One of the other things that we have yet to see is any kind of move toward changes in regulation in gun control. Let's say any kind of significant move, because people can argue and say, well, any kind of significant move. I want to introduce some numbers in just a moment that will make you think, huh? And then I want to tell you a story about two boys in Indiana and what they were up to recently. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Thanks again to Jeff Nethercott for talking real estate. Jeff is the president of the London and St. Thomas Association of Realtors. Before we move on, Brian, you wanted to talk real estate. That, you think congratulations on a record year and hope that you know he has a great year next year. You shouldn't be congratulating them at all. I shouldn't be congratulating them home, at all. First-time home buyers, it is impossible for them to save enough for a down payment the way that this market is inflated. But, I'm a potential home buyer myself, but I can't save as fast as the market goes up. Okay, I can. Yeah, you know what? You you make a very valid point. So, 
I, I shouldn't have congratulated him. But at the same time, we are in a market of supply and demand. If we look at people who are going to be looking to buy homes, once you have people unable to buy homes, if you have enough of them, that will tilt the market the other way. No, 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 Mike. you, you got to understand, these real estate agents work on commission. So if they can finagle a house to go for more, they will. And then they make more on the commission. And then the prices go up. This is artificial inflation, Mike. And soon enough, the bubble's going to pop. And when the bubble pops, all these people that are buying the houses, their value's going to go down. And if the value goes down more than their down payment, they're on the hook for that. And they're going to have to walk away from their mortgage. Yeah, it makes a mess. I mean, we don't have the same regulations that they had in the United States, but in the United States, you could say, here, I make this much money and you're not going to check on it. Give me a $700,000 house. And we saw a big pop there, but they've recovered at the same time. They've recovered for about how many thousands of people lost their homes, Mike? In thousands. the meantime, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if the economy recovers. I don't want people to be losing their homes. No, I agree, but if you, well, I mean, it's it, it's a risk to buy a house. It is. It's a risk to buy a house because you don't know. Right now, it's been a good investment, but we keep hearing, and that's why I asked the question about the bubble in the end. We keep hearing that, oh, there will be a real estate bubble. We haven't seen one yet. I don't, what will bring it about? What do you think? How does it happen? Oh, it ebbs and flows, and it's very hard to see coming, and that's why so many people lost their shirts in 2008. Well, that that goes to a market correction. We could have one of those coming. I mean, you know, we could have anything coming. We could have somebody set off a nuclear bomb way up in the clouds and we lose electricity, period. I mean, anything like that could happen. Well, it could, but these things are very hard to see coming as to what's going to cause it. But a lot of these people, I mean, uh, my aunt was um, a mortgage professional and she warned me up and down, do not buy a house right now because if it drops and it drops more than your down payment, you're on the hook for it. And once people buy a house, that's it for their savings usually for another 10 years. They can't afford that financial hit. Definitely. So, I mean, when, these, when you're saying, you know, all of these houses, they're going up and up and up and up and up. And that's terrific for the real estate agents and the people that are selling their homes. But the people looking to buy, it's not so good for them not in the near future. Brian, I'm glad you brought up this part of the argument. Thank you. Cheers. Take care. No, Brian makes a good point. I guess I'm in too holly jolly a mood. I guess I'm looking at it that, hey, London is finally seeing the increases that we have seen in so many other cities. That London has had room for price increases and those are happening. But yeah, okay. I didn't, I didn't look at the other end of things whereby you do have people who are saying, I don't think I'll ever own a house. And as Brian pointed out, hey, is, is now the time that you want to actually go out and get a house? Because the, the problem here is we still have room to grow. I don't understand how people in Vancouver afford a three-bedroom house for $1.2 million. I don't understand how somebody in Toronto affords the same house for eight dollars $900,000. When in London, Ontario, you're getting this house for 386000 and 20 years ago, you could have bought it for ninety. You could have bought it for seventy-five. So I don't understand why we haven't seen a correction and whether there's one coming. Again, it's a risk to buy a home in that way. It's a risk to buy a home. It's a risk to buy anything right now. You know, what if you buy a gas-powered vehicle and all of a sudden in the life of that vehicle, 
Things change. We're all riding around on uh, London Transit. I don't know. But, Brian, thank you for bringing up that part of the story, because it's one that I should have thought of. I will be less holly and jolly, because we are going to talk casinos after Jacqueline LaBelle and news. That's next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. After 2 o'clock, we'll talk more about casinos, because I have a bright side theory. I can't help being holly and jolly right now. I have a bright side theory for the casino situation, especially as it involves Western Fair District. And we will talk with Western Fair District. Jacqueline LaBelle is next with news. We have an opportunity to talk a little bit more about real estate if you want to as well. 519-643-2222. Hang on through the news. We'll get to that next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We're going to get back into casinos and a casino in particular, the one slated for London, Ontario, that is being put up by Gateway Casinos. We're going to do that in just a little bit, and I do have a a silver lining thought for Western Fair District. But right now, we have touched on a a bit of a nerve, and I thank Brian for kind of bringing me back, because I decided we'd look back over the numbers of 2018 in real estate in London and St. Thomas, and there has been an awful lot of increase in prices. And Brian called and he said, hey, wait a minute, I'm a prospective first-time buyer. What about people like me? We're not exactly cheering the fact that, hey, the average house price in London is $386,000 now. Ooh, you're not hearing that. Because how do you get into the market as a first-time buyer? Unless you're winning a lottery or unless you're willing to say, we're going to be completely house poor, how do you do it? 519-643-2222, if you want to weigh in. Tim, how are you this afternoon? Mike, how are you? Not too bad. Well, I'm going to bring you back, but you're getting lost there. Um, when you go into the bank to get a mortgage, and, and the bank tells you, we're going to give you $300,000 to buy a house because that's what you can afford. And if you say, that's awesome, and you sign your name, and two months later the interest rates go up 5%, and now you can't afford, afford your mortgage... That's on you, 100% on you, Definitely. 100%. Definitely. Because, you know, when I, when I was 26 years old and my wife and I got married a long time ago, we went into the bank and my, my, what, we hadn't had kids yet, and we bought a house on my income alone so that if my wife wanted to quit work with the kids, she could. So that's exactly what we did. So instead of moving to High Park or whatever the newest, fanciest thing is, there's all kinds of places in London you can buy a house for $220,000. And, and if you don't do that, th- then that's on you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand people. Everybody's like, oh, you can't get a house. I don't, I don't understand it. Don't buy a $500,000 house, and you can get a house. Yeah, there's, there are always places to look, and if it's not a house, you look at different condos and, and you try and work your way up. So, yeah, I mean, if the average price is $386,000, you have got to have some numbers bringing that down. But you raise a really good point, Tim, that I, that I think needs to be stressed more and that I don't necessarily believe is, and that is if you look at what you can afford and what you should afford, they are two very different things, and That's you're right. absolutely right. Things and change if, in a hurry. And also... Now, now they've got their mortgage. The neighbors buy a new a new truck. Guess what? 
but you've got to buy a new truck, too, because show your neighbor I can afford one, too. And I just I don't get people that I don't blame the banks. The banks look at you as a lollipop when you walk in the door. And they want you to take the biggest freaking mortgage that, that, that they'll give you. And, and so I just don't get it. Like, I, I guess I come, we come from a different generation, and I, I don't get it. Well, know? I'm interested to see what does play out going forward, because that keeping up with the Joneses is as strong as it's ever been, only That's- I don't think it happens with things like houses and cars anymore. It happens just with spending on trips, or it happens with the kind of clothes people will buy. I don't know how going many people... For dinner. How many people do you walk by going out for dinner? Is a, yeah. you know, how many times, and maybe you and I are going to sound like a couple of old guys talking on the radio here, but how many times as a kid did you go out to dinner? I mean, that was a once-a-year, twice-a-year thing for us. Correct, correct, and it was for me, too. We did what we could, but it brought my wife up that we barely eat out. <laughs> you know what I mean? We, we haven't never been ones to go out for dinner and spend 80 bucks for something you could have at home for 15 bucks, right? It's, it's just, it doesn't, especially when you're raising a family and trying to buy a house and trying, and, and the, the fellow Brian, his, his aunt, I think he said, told him not to buy a house. It, that is the, the most ridiculous, if, you know, what do you call it, opinion that she could have. You know, it's like, it's awesome. I, my daughter's young and I'm trying to talk her into getting a house right now, trying to get her to get her ducks in a row. And, and like I said, it doesn't mean buying a $500,000 house, Mike. Tim, I'm really glad you called today. Awesome. Did I bring you back? Yeah, the, <laughs> I want to be holly and jolly at this time of year, but I appreciate what Brian is saying. But at the same time, I, it's everything's a risk in life. You protect yourself and your financial future because you can't count on the bank to do it. Yeah. So, anyway. Tim, have a great day. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Mike. Merry Christmas. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's, it is interesting to take a look at, and I'm going to sound like an old guy here, at generations. Because I do believe the younger generation, it's not about, maybe it's about the car, I don't know. But a car is a big expenditure, a house is a big expenditure, so it's not about that. So what has it turned to? It has turned to going out for dinner, going on trips, the clothes that they wear. You can't necessarily pick out clothes that easily i mean if you know what a patagonia sweater is you can pick that out that somebody's wearing that that's a really expensive thing but the one thing that you do pick out in the winter is all the winter coats with the little label on the side the canada goose thing what do those things go for those are hundreds right hundreds we don't live in the Northwest Territories. We don't live in the Yukon. Today is five degrees. Uh, but my coat keeps me warm when it's minus 30. So does mine. And it doesn't have a little goose on the side. But every time I walk by somebody, I always think, wow, I wonder how much money they make to be able to afford that. That's an expensive coat. Whew. That's shelling out a lot of money. That person's doing really, really well. And then you kick yourself saying, no, they're keeping up with the people on Instagram. They're keeping up with the people in their Snap stories saying, oh, look what I just bought. Look what I have now. That's where keeping up with the Joneses has gone. I don't think it's about houses anymore. I don't think it's about cars anymore. It has scaled back a little bit. But when you talk with the number of young people who are able to take a trip and go to the Caribbean and go to Mexico, I mean, we're not looking at a massive outlay of money. But when you're young to say, hey, I'm going to spend 2500 bucks on a week in Mexico. That's something that young people are willing to do. But maybe they don't have 
that first house. Maybe they don't have that car that they were looking for. But I think that's where their keeping up with the Joneses has gone. Because that kind of thing, that definitely hasn't gone away. Otherwise, this adult show-and-tell crap that we have on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff, that wouldn't be as potent as it is right now. And it's awfully potent. We'll talk casinos in just a moment. It's looking like Gateway Casinos, and hey, we were able to speak this morning at 980 CFPL with Rob Mitchell, Director of Communications and Public Affairs with Gateway Casinos, and he said that they, instead of going to Western Fair District, had signed a lease agreement for a property in southwest London, so it looks like that's where the casino will go, and hey, this casinos are good-time moneymakers and have been proven to be good-time moneymakers. Gateway Casinos can put their casino wherever they want. As Phil Squire had said, they're the ones in the driver's seat right now. So if, if they don't see that Western Fair District is the right place, then that's not where it's going to go. If they don't see that downtown is the right place, then that's not where it's going to go. And maybe it causes that area to build right up. I don't know. Maybe it does. You know, it definitely wouldn't hurt it. The more things you have all over the place, here we go talking about things again, but the more things you have all over the place, the better. But I don't believe that this does nasty things to Western Fair District. And I want to talk about that silver lining. And you tell me whether I'm being too silver lining about it. Because I don't think that Western Fair District needs a casino to survive. I think you can have a casino from Gateway Casinos in one part of the city, and then you can have something else at Western Fair District, and everything can be just fine. Why not? We'll talk about it next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. One more email on real estate, and I think this is a, a great way to leave it. it comes from Alan. Alan says... This cycle repeats itself over and over. Alan says, I remember 18% interest rates. He says, I hate to say it, but this time it's going to go really bad. Houses are really overinflated. I don't have a mortgage anymore. I feel bad for the young families with huge mortgages. Car payments, credit card bills, people in Toronto and Vancouver are going to get hit really hard. It will happen. That's a... That's a a pretty safe prediction, I think, at some point. Mark Twain's old line of buy real estate, they ain't making more of it. It's it's a very true line, and we keep waiting for bubbles and corrections, and you get the odd one, but overall, everything has been climbing. Here's the other problem. Overall, everything has been climbing. What do shareholders want to hear? Growth, 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 more, more, more. That's what they expect, that you want to see... All of the trends going up. Take a look at those numbers. It was 1999, and you had the TSX hitting 10,000. Now that looks like a paltry little number, doesn't it? Up, 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 growth, growth, growth. It can't work that way. I'm going to take my pen that's sitting right beside me, and I'm going to put it in an upward trajectory right now. Okay, ready? Now I'm going to throw it in the air. What happened? It fell back down. That's always what happens. What goes up must come down. Weird how we live by the, the laws of the universe, even in day-to-day -day lives. 
But what goes up must come down. Yeah, there will be a correction, and some people will be hurt by it. Others will not. Others will capitalize on it. It's the way this has gone pretty much since Adam Smith and all of his buddies and whoever else is credited with you know, coining the phrase capitalism, creating capitalism, was a thing that just developed. So that's where we sit. Let's look at a different kind of thing, a different way of making use of money, a casino. Casino always has that, hey, dollars are coming in, revenue is being generated. We see casinos going up in any number of places. And we have the opportunity to have a casino here, courtesy of Gateway Casinos. And we talked with Phil Squire last hour, and we will talk with Western Fair District in a minute. Because I want to throw something out there to you and see what you think. And then we'll talk with Western Fair District as well. Now, as Phil Squire pointed out, and this, this is a big piece of this pie for Western Fair District, because there are a lot of people that say without a casino, Western Fair District will struggle to survive. Phil pointed out the perfect piece of information. The provincial government gave the rights to casinos to Gateway Casinos in in a region. So in this region, Gateway Casinos has the right to the monies that come in. And then, of course, there are monies that are, are taken out by the province. They're distributed. But this is not going to be casino revenue that goes to Western Fair anymore. So it didn't matter whether the casino was there or not. And if Gateway Casinos has signed a lease agreement for somewhere else in the city, that's their prerogative to do it. You know, that's they're going to put it where they feel is the right spot. And I'm not going to second guess them because they know a heck of a lot more about where to put a property than I do. I don't know much. So Gateway Casinos has decided to do it that way. I don't believe this is an end for Western Fair because change brings about opportunity. And what do we see anymore when we have a big, I guess, a big a big spot, a big space, uh, a big event center that is put up? Let's take in London Budweiser Gardens as an example. What has happened around Budweiser Gardens? Does it live all by itself on King and Talbot? And just sit there and there's nothing much around it. You know, it'd be be nice if there's a restaurant to go to every once in a while. No. It is surrounded by things. Anymore, if you build a big spot, why do you think big supermarkets and big box stores have grabbed onto, you know, other big things? You've got a big shopping area and around the big shopping area, you've got now houses and subdivisions not too far away. That's kind of the way that our growth has gone over, what, the last couple of decades, that you create neighborhoods where it's one-stop shopping. And you used to have it with strip malls. Well, now, you know, strip malls aren't necessarily there. The strip is inside the big Monstro Mart, and you go in there and you get your doctor's office and your eye care and and your, you know, photography and whatever else. So that part of the strip mall has got your restaurant. So if you look at Western Fair, you've got a big area. You've got a big area that brings in trade shows right now. Harness racing for whatever its future is, and there will be a future for harness racing. I think all you have to do is look at the online numbers for harness racing and realize it does okay. You know, harness racing, I don't understand. 
in what we're led to believe is, you know, a, a culture that loves gambling. And some people absolutely do. How harness racing is not bigger. Because, and, you know, maybe it's time to look up those online numbers. Because I, I think they're big. You know, I know that Western Fair is able to get their races online and there is an audience for them. So you've got harness racing, which is a sport that takes, what, two and a half minutes for a race? So it's quick. You can do it any time of the day, 24 hours a day. Somebody is running horses somewhere on this planet and you can bet on it. How is that not bigger? So as long as that lives, and there are some challenges for the harness racing industry as well. Let's, let's face facts. There are. But as long as, as that is there, you've got that. You've got the trade shows that come in. What if we were to look at, I don't know, let's, what's, what else is close? Let's look at Toronto. So we look at right near Rogers Center where the Toronto Blue Jays play. If you don't want to go to a Blue Jays game, but you go to Toronto, there are things popping up around that particular spot. So, hey, if dad and a buddy or dad and his brother want to go to the baseball game and two of the kids want to go, but two of the kids don't want to go, then all of a sudden somebody else is taking those kids and you're going to the aquarium. What if all of a sudden we had, I'm not saying, I don't know, does London need an aquarium? We just said no to zoos, traveling zoos. I'm up for that. Those things can be a little crappy sometimes. So um, sometimes they're good. You know, there, there, are, there are zoos that work out very well. But, you know, you, you got to be careful. You know, we've had some kind of smallish zoos in this area that brought more trouble than good before they were shut down completely. You know, I think you could agree with that. I don't even need to tell you what the names are. But in this case... You know, what if we had something, I'm not saying an aquarium, what if it was, I don't even know what, um, performing arts center. You know, what if we put a performing arts center at Western Fair? What if we looked at it that way? And then once again, and if you look at the way that that area has developed since they put the word district there, I think that was a fantastic move. I don't think this is the end of Western Fair by any means. This is change that goes in a different direction, and that direction had to be taken anyway because you weren't going to get the casino revenue. That's for Gateway Casinos because that's the deal that they've done with the province. Good on them for doing it. But in this case, that money wasn't going to be there, so you have to start diverting your attention. You have to start picking a different path. And no doubt that's what was going on. So I don't think we've got a big concern. Do you? If you do, please let me know. If you're somebody who's saying, well, without the casino, there's no chance for Western Fair, give me the reason why. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca or tweet me at Stubbs980. Because there are a lot of things that exist now. And I'm not saying that they would be a definite success. What's the theme of the show been? A lot of it's been about risk. If you do something, there's a risk it won't work. But there's a risk it will. And in this case, when we're looking at no casino at Western Fair, there are a lot of opportunities to do other things, to bring in other things. There's a lot of space there. You know, that parking lot can have a lot of traffic in it. But at the same time, most of it, especially as you go uh, west toward, what is it, Rectory? As you go west toward Rectory, it's, it's open. There'd be space for a lot of things. And I know they've put up some things. We had the IMAX there or have the IMAX there. But I really think that 
there is an opportunity for that to be as vibrant as ever. And that's what comes with this change. Plus, over in the Southwest End, you would have a casino in London, which who knows what that will bring. We don't know. We don't know the specifics of that just yet. Would they be building a hotel? You know, when we were talking about it being at Western Fair District, there was discussion that we could have some 700 jobs, that you would have more acts coming in, more performers coming in. That's never a bad thing. And Gateway Casinos, they have some great connections, great ties, great partnerships, however you want to term it. And so they would be bringing those in. So that's a good thing, too. In a moment, we're going to have news with Jacqueline LaBelle. And then after that, we'll head over to Western Fair District and we'll talk about kind of the feelings around there. We'll talk with the president, Hugh Mitchell, and just get his thoughts on how he sees this impacting Western Fair District. Because I really think that's the big issue right now. What happens with Western Fair District? Not so much where the casino is going. It was going wherever Gateway Casinos felt it was going to operate the best. So they've leased land. Bingo. You know, now we watch and see what happens there. Good for them. But what happens to Western Fair District? And I think the move to answer that question has been in the works for a while. We'll discuss it. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If I can, I like to look for silver linings in places. I don't like hearing doomsday stuff. I mean, it's like that recommendation that hopefully somebody gives you. Don't worry about something unless it happens. Be ready. You don't have to worry about something unless it happens. And that kind of keeps you away from a lot of the doomsday stuff. I don't want to look at no casino at Western Fair District and say, well, that's it for that. It's not like that. With change comes opportunity. But I'm not the one who's kind of running the show. Let's talk to the person who is. Joining us right now is Hugh Mitchell, president of Western Fair District and Western Fair Association. Hugh, how are things? Hi, Mike. Thank you for having me on. I hope you can hear me clearly. I can hear you perfectly clearly. We want to hear you clearly. When when you look at this particular situation right now for Western Fair District, how do you feel about it? So, Mike, I think your opening remarks are dead on, and I appreciate them. You're right. There's a silver lining in every cloud. And uh, for us, we can only focus on the things we can control, and we need to do that to the best of our abilities. So, yes, we are disappointed. Um, We had hoped for a lot of good reasons that Gateway would decide to stay at Western Fair and integrate their operation with ours, and in particularly... Uh, have synergies and a symbiotic relationship with racing, um, which was originally the uh, government's uh, design um, to having slots at racetracks. Um, And it's important, I think, Mike, for the listeners to know that when the slot at the racetrack program was uh, was cancelled by the McGinty government, the government, in its wisdom, entered into these lease agreements Uh, while they were operating uh, uh, slots. These lease agreements were designed to support racing. And so those lease agreements, when the government privatized, were um, transferred to the winning private sector operators, in this case, Gateway. So our request of Gateway was simply to honor 
the terms and conditions of the original lease negotiated with government. In their wisdom, and it's well within their rights, um, under their license agreement with the uh, government, they could not make sense of paying the lease that the government was. So uh, that's where the real stickler, stickling point was for us in our discussions, was around two things. One, uh, supporting the lease that was in place. And then second, was ensuring that their operation and their expansion was on the existing footprint and was uh, developed in synergy with our own operation so that we could co-promote and work together. That wasn't to be. And so that's the disappointing news. But at the end of the day, um, we have had, uh, the industry at least, the racing industry has had uh, lots of indicators from this government, um, Premier Ford's government, that he will continue to support racing uh, and gaming or, or slots at racetracks. So what we have some, some time ago, uh, weeks ago, put forward an official request to allow this lease to continue on um, as a part of government funding of racing. So we're waiting anxiously to hear from the government on those terms. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we, we understand Gateway's decision um, and uh, there isn't much more than that we can control, Mike, and that's where we sit today. Hugh Mitchell, president of Western Fair District, joining us. Hugh, okay, let's let's kind of if if we could get the the one thing that you mentioned about the lease and gateway. If we could talk about that again, just for a second. So the province had kind of set out the parameters for the lease. Am I understanding that right? Yeah, yeah, they negotiated a lease payment that we uh, uh, that started right after the slots at racetrack program discontinued. And that program was racing, us and the horse people, getting a percentage of the gross gaming revenue. So that program was discontinued. It was replaced by a lease program where the government leased the premises to operate slots. And that lease agreement now is in the hands of uh, Gateway. It was transferred to them by the government as part of the privatization strategy of government. That lease is set set to expire in March 2020, um, Gateway, in a, in their business model does not support paying that lease to us and, and, and supporting racing the way we want it to. So um, they made a private sector decision that's well within their rights to try and relocate. Um, and, uh, and so uh, that's their prerogative. It's unfortunate, and we'd love to have them stay, but only if they can support the lease that the government had negotiated with us. Gotcha. Hugh, as far as racing goes, can you tell us about some of the challenges that harness racing has been going through and, and where all of that sits right now? Yeah, I can. I mean, it's, uh, it's in transition. Uh, it's a defining moment for racing in this province. We have some good news out of this government that suggests they see the economic impact they see the number of jobs that are created, particularly in the rural sector, from racing. So they're prepared to support it. They've made announcement at a couple other tracks. Um, so we'd like to see them continue to support racing at London. But frankly, without government support on that lease, um, it's, it's very problematic for racing at Western Fair. We cannot fund it um, to the degree we need to on our own. We need government support. We've had it 
since 1998, actually, through the Racetrack Shop program, recently through the lease. And that, that, that level of support needs to continue for racing to continue at Western Fair. And if you look at a timeline on that, you mentioned you have sent the official request in. What would the timeline be on finding out? Do you know? Um, I'm hopeful it's very early in January. I mean, realistically, not much will happen now in the next few weeks because of the holiday season. But uh, I'm hopeful um, for the sake of our horse people who are anxiously waiting for this matter to be resolved, as well as our staff, frankly. So I'm hopeful in early January we'll have more positive news about this lease support from government. Okay. Hugh Mitchell joining us, president of Western Fair District. Hugh, as far as things like the trade shows that come in and, and the other uses of Western Fair District, how much of an impact does all of that have during the year? It's not uh, certainly as significant as the uh, racing operation because, you see, that lease was negotiated with government um, designed to support racing, not any of the other business units. So the sports center, our consumer and trade shows, our fair operation, our market, um, those business entities uh, operate independent of the funding that's in question. Okay. Now, the other question about racing is online racing. I know that that, that has some appeal. Uh, do we know how big that is in terms of what Western Fair sees from it? You mean uh, wagering through the Internet? Yeah. Well, it's pretty significant. Um, frankly, uh, the remote wagering, we call it remote wagering, where we receive bets from different sources across North America, um, across the states, across Canada. That remote wagering is well over 80% of the total wagering. So in any given year, we will bet somewhere in the neighborhood, we're the second largest in Canada, about $40 million. About 80% of that comes from remote sources uh, outside of London. That's what. So number two in the country? Yes, behind Woodbine. Our wagering uh, on a per-race card is second largest across Canada. It's pretty significant. That's really significant. So you would think, hey, if you're put in an official request to the government, it's not like you're saying, hey, I, I have my hand out here, uh, please help. You've got reason to believe that, that this would be a good investment. Yeah, that's our argument, Mike. I mean, there's a huge economic impact in the southwestern Ontario region. I mean, horse racing is embedded in all the communities surrounding us. There's over 5,000 jobs um, outside of those on our site. And these are rural jobs that are impacted by this sport. Hugh Mitchell with us, president of Western Fair District. Hugh, thanks so much for joining us. There's one other thing I want to address, and that is when I was talking silver lining, I thought, well, maybe you don't have to have gaming, but you already have racing. What if we had something else? And, I mean, I, I looked at Budweiser Gardens and the, the restaurants that have been brought about by having it there, and then I thought, okay, well, what about Rogers Centre in Toronto? They have the aquarium nearby. Would it be possible for, you know, not necessarily an aquarium, but something like that to be positioned? at Western Fair? That's a good point, Mike. I think what's really important for us at Western Fair is to have an open mind. And I think uh, necessity is the, the mother of innovation. And uh, uh, I, I really think that uh, we really need to innovate and find alternative working with our horse people and government 
and that's local as well as provincial. We need to continue to work at trying to stay relevant and meaningful and trying to be innovative so that we we capture the needs of our customers. Hugh, that makes me feel good. I, I hear the silver lining in your voice, and I wish you all the luck with this. Thanks so much, Mike. We really appreciate your interest. Take care. Thank you. That's Hugh Mitchell, president of Western Fair Association. So there's something I didn't know. Did you know that? When you look at wagering, London, number two behind Woodbine, $40 million a year is wagered. 80% of that is, as Hugh described it, remote wagering. So that's wagering online. So obviously, you know, let me see. Let me do some quick math here. I'm going to carry the two. $32 million a year, by my math, is coming from remote wagering. $32 million. So that shows that there is a market for that. So they have put in an official request to the government in order to make make some provisions that this continues. Can we say it that way? Is that being politically correct enough? 32 million bucks. Employing, look at how many people, 5,000 people? Indirectly, directly? I mean, there are big ties here that I really hope the government does not ignore. Because it would take spending money. And what are we looking at right now that the Ontario government is trying to do? They are trying to save money. And you can't begrudge them for that because that's the position they've been put in. And you can argue that governments going way, way back have not done enough of that. And that's why we are in the position we're in right now. Uh, Bad spending, misspending, stupid spending, all of that stuff has taken place. So that's what the Ford government is dealing with. But at the same time, you can't just save. You have to look at ways to invest. You can't just sit back and go, well, we won't spend as much money on this and we won't spend as much money on this and then we'll be better. Yeah, okay, you will be. But then what happens when everything continues to rise in price? If you invest, if you grow money a little bit, even a little bit, you can put yourself in a better position. So that's hopefully the way that the government looks at this because you can't turn your back on 32 million bucks. Harness racing. It is a, obviously, it is a kept secret. Somehow. How do we not have more people interested in this? You wait until the NBA makes wagering available. I think they're going to be the first ones to do it. And they do it in the, hey kid, do you want a lollipop kind of way? Where you look and go, this is so easy. This is so easy. I think LeBron James will score 20 points in the second half. Boop. I'm going to spend $5 of the 100 monthly dollars that I have in my NBA gambling wallet, although they won't call it that. It'll be the NBA fun money, or it'll be something like that that makes it sound a lot like a lollipop. And that's what I'm going to do right there. Look at that. That was fun. Now I'm going to sit back and watch this NBA game. How do we not have that for harness racing where you say, you know, I'm going to put down my $5 on Lucky Lucille that Lucky Lucille is going to come through in the third. How does that not happen? Races take like two and a half minutes. They happen 24 hours a day. It is happening. Remote wagering. Responsible for 32 million bucks. And we've got Western Fair sitting at just behind Woodbine. Now, again, all of this is relative. Harness racing is still a sport, as Hugh called it, in transition. But there are positives there that hopefully we can grab onto. And... 
as Hugh pointed out, necessity is the mother of innovation. Yeah, has been for a long time. So you've got some good minds at Western Fair. I'm not worried about them. They've been around for a long time, well over 100 years. They've been through their challenges before. They're in a great location. They have good people. They have space, which provides opportunity. They have land. They're going to be fine. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We didn't get a chance last hour to talk about some other numbers that have come out. And if you missed our conversation with Hugh Mitchell, you can always find the podcast. You can get the podcast for London Live on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite shows. And Hugh is always great to talk to. He reminds me of talking to Brian Burke. If you ask Brian Burke a question, he's going to give you an answer. If you ask Hugh Mitchell a question, he's going to give you an answer. May not be an answer that he enjoys giving, you know, maybe one that has some, uh, well, we're working on this like Hugh had to today, but he's going to give you an answer. And I really appreciate that. And as Hugh Mitchell had said, one of the reasons why things fell apart in terms of the negotiations with Gateway Casinos was the lease that Gateway was inheriting from the province had money that had to be given for harness racing. And that was something that wasn't in their business plan, as he pointed out. And you know what? Yeah, that's that's called business. And so Gateway Casinos has leased land in a different spot, just up Warncliffe. And that could wind up developing that area in a huge way. It's been developing anyway. There aren't a lot of houses there. But if you build it, they will come. We'll see. So... The other thing that Hugh Mitchell had pointed out that you need to go back and listen to is how harness racing is doing. Now, this is on the scale of harness racing across the country, but there are a lot of racetracks. London's number two behind Woodbine. I found that absolutely fascinating, bringing in $32 million a year in remote wagering. So if you missed it, I encourage you, grab the podcast, and again, you can find it Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your favorite shows. The numbers we didn't get to last hour came out from the United States, and they're in a University of Michigan study, and they wanted to look at a number of things. They were looking at preventable injuries and deaths of children and teens. And we won't go into all of the things, but it it boggles my mind that we're still no further ahead in some things, that you have an appeal for something like, let's make some changes to gun control laws in the United States, and you know, nothing really has happened. We're still going to see more thoughts and prayers. Here's the number that stands out. In 2016, this University of Michigan study has found that firearms claim the lives of more than 3,140 children and teens. 3,140. There's your thoughts and prayers right there. If that's not incentive to get something going, I don't know what is. Now, is that gang violence? Sure, it's it's everything. And when you look at in 2016 in the United States, 20,000 children were lost. We've got essentially one-seventh, one-sixth of all kids being lost to preventable injuries, they call it. And that does have car crashes, uh, does have, you know, preventable injuries, you name it. There's a long list. 3,140. 
dying at the hands of firearms. And yet, no. Thoughts and prayers, please. Can't believe we're still talking about that. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Last story before news gets going with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matthew Trevithick. Police in Indiana were called to a home. There were two boys inside. One was seven. He was looking after his four-year-old brother because the mom, I don't know, had to go somewhere. You didn't have to go anywhere, Mom. They were watching Home Alone. You know what you would not leave? First of all, don't leave your seven-year-old watching your four-year-old. Even if you were, do not leave them watching Home Alone. That's about burglars trying to break in. How traumatizing is that? Mom, be better. We are out of time. News is coming up next with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matthew Trevithick. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.